you get to pick your future. It's a choose-your-own-adventure book, jujitsu. Ishmael, Professor Ishmael is a great instructor, and he will tell you exactly what to get good at. But it's not his job to fill your brain with water, you know? It's your job, and he will tell you where the water is. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the Pohada Podcast. I am Matt Browse of Pohada Photography, and this is the first booze with a black belt in quite a while. As you heard there, I'm talking this time around with my friend and one of my favorite instructors, Zach Jeffrey. Not only is he the guest of this episode, he's also one of the chief sponsors of this episode, his company Black Belt Woodcraft which is incredible, if I'm just being honest. It's handcrafted custom wood products. I've got a couple things. The chair that Polly sits in for the podcast is made by him. The thing is awesome. www.blackbeltwoodcraft.com And all the usual social media is at Black Belt Woodcraft. Do check that out. And the second sponsor of this episode is Axon Movement. You've heard me mention him before. He's a jiu-jitsu buddy of ours, Tim Borowski, over at M-Theory. If you see him recently, you might notice you don't quite recognize him without all those dreadlocks, but he looks good. His goal over there at Axon Movement is to work with folks on locating and correcting muscle imbalances and compensation patterns that are causing pain by way of dysfunctional biomechanics. Or I could put it in my words and say, if you're fucking yourself up with jujitsu and lifting and stuff, it might be a good guy to see to try to fix that stuff. Axon-movement.com His social medias are axon underscore M-V-M-T And without further ado, my conversation with Zach Jeffrey about jujitsu and life and wood and life. Zach, you got a black belt in Brazilian jujitsu. Yes. On April 6th, 2019. Is that right? I remember that it was 2019. Yeah. I was, it was like my first week of doing jujitsu. Really? That's so cool. I was at the seminar and wow. I just like remembered, wow, four or five guys got black belt. One of my first times at M theory was when a big group of people got their black belts and it was pretty incredible. You know, it's one of those things that helped me decide what I wanted next in, in my life, you know, and, uh, the, the speech that stood out to me was Adam Frankow's. And I remember not knowing him, but not necessarily getting along with him either. But he was a nice guy and he gave a great speech and I gained a lot of respect for him after that. Simply from the speech? Yes. What was it? Do you remember? <laughs> mm. I couldn't tell you what the speech was, but you know, the, the thing that I like about jujitsu is getting to meet all those interesting people that really stand out. And there are things that stick with you with people like that. Hmm. It's a very cool thing about the sport or this or the the art. Was that uh, having that early on? Was that a cementing thing for doing jujitsu for you, or were you pretty well bought in? Well, I try to collect people like that all the time. The people around you, 
have interesting things to say. And you can usually learn something from them. Like to make more pots. <laughs> We're still talking about it. How many years ago was that? You weren't even doing jujitsu, maybe. Uh, you used that as part of your black belt speech, <laughs> didn't you? Where did I get it from? I don't know. Polly, do you know? You cite it more often than I do. Uh, I, I do remember. Well, I kind of remember. It's, I also le- said something else, and this will make sense not to interrupt you, but I also said Jared was a legend for me in many ways at my speech. You go on, Polly. Well, that, that's, that's what I was going to bring up. But tell the story, please. Well, no, I, I'm, I don't remember it as well. I just like have like what I perceive to have that's remembered. That's all that's true. <laughs> no, no. You, you what do, you, what you, do you remember? Uh, there was a, what's the term? Not an intern, right? But uh, what's the person? Apprentice. Apprentice, that's the term I'm looking for. Uh, that worked with a pot maker and he asked him how to get good at making pots and it was make, make more pots. And it, it seems like such, like, a usual story for everybody nowadays, you know, like, oh, get good at something and, like, get the reps, you know, but when you actually see Jared move and talk, and then he tells you something simple like that, it's much easier to listen to them. And a matter of fact, you spent how much of your life dedicating to being on those mats and spending money, time thinking about it. You're even going above and beyond to go to a seminar because that's where we were at when Jared, Professor Jared, uh, gave us that talk, you know, and (laughs) that's what the seminars are for. You learn, uh, you know, everybody says this, you know, but you learn a move or something sometimes, you know, it's hard to learn jujitsu by just seeing something once at a seminar. That's why I love DVDs, but you get to learn about that person and what made them good at what they're good at, their superpower. They try to share that with you. So Jared's superpower is, uh, laughing goofily and saying he doesn't know the answer and then then showing you the exact right answer and then making an animal analogy in order to cement it in there forever and then man we are still talking about him right now from a simple story but it's not just because of the story it's because of we see the competence that he's gained and it, it it's beautiful it's it gives you awe. Yeah. I mostly watched that seminar. Like I stepped off the mat because there was a bajillion people there. I couldn't tell you what we worked on. Neither could I because I literally didn't know. It was like day six. Mm-hmm. And not because it's not important to learn either, but right. it just because, you know, the you st- Start jujitsu because you want to learn how to fight, but it changes you and you learn more and you get more. It fills more boxes than just how to protect myself and my family. 
It also teaches you self-reliance. I'm not going to win the long pause contest with Zach. (laughs) (laughs) That's a regular feature. What do you mean self-reliance? Here's a good story. I texted one of my students from MTT yesterday. We're just getting done with the pandemic in some ways, and it's not easy just to state that and as a simple answer, but life seems to be getting closer to normal or what it used to be. And Eric, he took much of the pandemic off from going to the gym, but he dedicated himself to a training partner and studied with them individually, watching DVDs, you know, doing a lot of the things that I like to tell my students to do, like drilling and finding a superpower, something that you dedicate more time to than anyone else. So it's your deep end of the pool. And he said that, and I haven't seen him roll, but he said that, you know, the stuff he worked on, he seemed to have a lot of success with it. And he was really happy about that. But what I was happy about was afterwards I asked him, you know, do you feel like you could go on and do that with anything, you know? And and the answer is yes. And when I say jujitsu teaches you self-reliance, well, when Jared tells you to go make more pots, it's to go get more information, to go make your mistakes, to go find something you love. And when you find that and you dedicate yourself to maybe just something like one technique, I like Kimuras or guillotines or rear naked chokes. And you get really crazy obsessed with trying to fucking do that to everyone, whether they want you to do it or not. And you hear not just your instructor's opinion, but the guy down the road at his gym too. Or you buy a stupid amount of DVDs and see what all those guys have to say about it as well and it seems kind of weird you know but it's an obsession and when you have people that you trust like you got to look for them you know like like Ishmael I trust him so I trust what he tells you and then I try to do it you know and at the black belt speech that I gave I talked about Professor Jared a time that I was like ready to quit jujitsu because it just wasn't fun in some ways, but, and it was like this, this big challenge of things that you just have to keep on piling in your brain. You know, it's hard. Um, and I went up and I saw him, which I think he has a really cool academy. It's not too big. It's his, um, what's it called? Black arrow martial arts in Brainerd, Minnesota. When I went up there, you know, I 
had all these smart questions for him, you know, like, should I do this? Should I do that? You know, and it's kind of hollow when you say it like that, but I almost knew all the things that I needed to do and I went and asked him to do it anyways. And he just nodded his head and said, yeah, 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 do that, you know? And so I was like, fuck, like, okay, I got my, got my answers, you know, but when are you actually going to take his advice, Zach? You know, when are you going to actually go out and do that, you know? And I really wanted to get good at jiu-jitsu. I don't like losing to people, man. You know, that's not fun. But you also see the people that are good and you're like, man, I want whatever. You see the black belt and you want the black belt, but it's not about the black belt. It's about that thing that we're talking about that's hard to talk about. You get what I'm saying? I think so. It's like the intangible thing. What if I don't get what you're saying? What's the thing we don't have I'll to make talk it about? easy. Please. What do you need to work on? Just in jujitsu. <laughs> Just give me a simple answer. Oh no. I'll ask the questions. <laughs> what do I need to work on? Yes. I need to work on What was the first thing that came into your head? The first thing that came to my head was essentially not. How do I even phrase it? Just try. It's not, there's no right or wrong, man. <laughs> I know, brother, I know. You're doing a good accepting, job. Accepting losing positions. So that's what you work on. And yeah. it's as simple as that. Like accepting getting flattened on my back. So you I, just you write know. a stupid list down. Mm-hmm. And you go after it, arm bar, fuck. I just get good at the arm bar, you know, until it gets boring maybe. And then I'll go and I'll get good at something else, number two on the list, you know? But you gotta want it, you know? Like, you can tell me what you wanna get good at again. What I wanna get good at? Yeah. What do you need to work on? I want to, well, those are, we've got two different questions now, don't we? I want to get good at sweeping people from half guard. Then I, you were, said you were confused on, you know, all I'm trying to say, you know, mm -hmm. a small message maybe. Mm -hmm. Let's just choose something simple like that and go and do it. Do it. But one thing I guess I learned was in order to make it to the next level, you know, you gotta sit and think like that, you know, what do I want to be good at, you know? And it's fun because you will love it, you know, like when you like, okay, I'm going to dedicate myself to sweeps. Well, how long do you want to do that for Matt? Until I get bored. What if you had to put a number on it? What if you had to put a finite end to it? What's like, the ending? What's my of it? expiration of my interest yeah, you, in building yeah. sweeps from half guard? Yeah. What's how would you know you you 
got as good at sweeps as you wanted to. I don't know. Then you don't need to know it today, but think about it, you know? Just think about it, you know? And you get to pick your future. It's a choose-your-own-adventure book, jujitsu. Ishmael, Professor Ishmael is a great instructor, and he will tell you exactly what to get good at. But it's not his job to fill your brain with water, you know? It's your job, and he will tell you where the water is. I hope this doesn't sound silly. <laughs> no, I don't think it does, no. I think I've sounded silly so far, which is good. That's that's how it should be. What were you, what was silly? I don't think you're silly. Oh, thank I, you. I would, I would have needed a moment if someone asked me a question that put me on the spot. Well, in, in fairness, I answered one of them with a question, at least with tone of voice. <laughs> and I hate that. Where you're like, I don't know the answer, so I'm going to make something up and ask you if it's the right answer. Yeah. David Goggins has a good book that talks a lot like kind of what we're talking about almost. You know, the. Have you read it? Is that You Can't Hurt Me, that one? Yeah. 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 And he just wanted to dig his closet out, you know, almost. He's like. Here's a mental picture I have of him. You know, he's sitting around, you know, like doing curls or pull ups or something like that. And then, you know, just the way humans are, wham, like something he doesn't want to do pops into his head. So he drops off the pull up bar and he goes and like fixes that thing that, that he, it was just a, it, it was just a random thought that just popped into his head for a moment. But for whatever reason, he figured out that when you go and you solve those random thoughts, that that makes you better. That was his lesson of the book. Every one of them. Fuck, I don't want to go for a run right now. Guess what? I'm going for a run. That's hard, though, man. Because you don't necessarily get rewarded for it, for it you know, right? Well, and it's like how I rolled three times this week. And every single one of those sessions got to half guard and found myself taking grips and trying to position to sweep from half guard. And it worked probably 0% of the time. <laughs> but instead of hopping on YouTube, finding a simple instruction or talking to Marcus and spending 15 minutes fine-tuning details and drilling, I just waited until the next time I rolled instead of stopping and dealing with the details. Same sort of thing. Like, as I'm not sweeping this person, I'm thinking, fuck, mm -hmm. I really hate that I can't sweep this person. Mm -hmm. But instead of, like, searching the solution, I just came back and got frustrated again. Yeah, but, you know, it's like, okay, well, I need to change something then, right? I need to, what should I change? But... You had a lot of good answers. Maybe I'll go talk to, you know, Marcus, right? He knows all sorts of stuff, or Ishmael, or maybe YouTube. I could just YouTube the answer. Well, at a certain point, maybe that's not the answer. You know, that's not how you get better. Maybe the problem is, fuck, every time I go to Half Garden, it's because, you know, I should have went to Close Guard instead. 
you know, maybe it's a breakdown in your philosophy or your strategy, you know, like maybe you need to like be better at that, you know, and be humble. And at every level you have to like be willing to give up part of yourself to get better. This narrative, you know, and an example might be in order to get better, maybe you need to get more flexible. And, and that means you have to give up that thought where you said, man, I've never been able to touch my toes. Like I'm not a flexible person. Who says that? You know anyone like that? Paulie. I say that. <laughs> Paulie knows Paul. Right? <laughs> Paulie's pointing his thumb at himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm not a flexible person. I'm not. I, I don't know if I could touch my toes right now, but man, what if, what if all you had to do is go to yoga class and get flexible and then now you get your black belt? Would you do it? Because in, in your self-reliance, like we're talking about, you know, you figured it out. Like that's the little stuff that you have to decide in order to make it to the next level at some point, you know, like everybody's YouTubing, everybody's DVDing, everybody's name it, you know, but is everybody digging out their closet? You know, like I had to, when I started jujitsu, I weighed it probably when I started jujitsu in Minnesota, it was, I probably weighed 220 pounds. Maybe I thought I wanted to be a bodybuilder and I was like doing it dirty, like the hamburger helper, like a (laughs) pound of meat, you know, and the, the gallon of milk and I didn't feel good, you know? And so in order to get better, you know, I had to maybe like not eat like crazy, you know, because I'd didn't want to be a bodybuilder anymore. I wanted to like choke people instead or not get choked instead. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. Definitely. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the things that I said that got me obsessed with jujitsu is I went to this gym and this 16 or 15 year old kid, this little like teenager, you know, he had been doing jujitsu longer than I have. I had been in the army. Like I said, I wanted to be like a bodybuilder type guy. I thought I was pretty strong. I wrestled, went to war, you know, but I got fucking triangled by that kid over and over again then. (laughs) And that, that car ride back, I'm sure you guys have been there, you know, but that car ride back, that's hard. Sometimes you're like, what the heck, what the heck am I doing wrong? You know, like one of those kids for us is your fault. Yeah. I'm, you better watch out uh, <laughs> and better be happy. You better be happy that he's a nice kid too, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. people didn't always treat him so nice or have respect for him, but he's a good kid and he'll, he'll not get back at you for it. That's a scary thought. You're an adult and you were mean to a kid, you know, on the gym just because he was unusual or whatever reason. Skinny and weak. I'm big and strong, yeah. so I can shove him around a little bit. 
until nine months later or a couple of years later, man, mm-hmm. you know, like, and then they're monsters, you know, but by then, you know, hopefully they're a nice person for sure. <laughs> Where'd you start jujitsu? Where I said, I'm sorry, where? Well, I kind of haven't had a straight linear, like I started with Ishmael and I stayed with Ishmael and that's all I know. But the first time I learned jujitsu or anything about jujitsu was at a wrestling practice. I quit wrestling when I was kind of in my sophomore, junior year. And for whatever reason, my senior year, someone brought this jujitsu instructor in for like a day and all my wrestling buddies were like, Hey man, they're going to bring in this dude and he's going to like show us, I don't know, strangleholds or something like that. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try wrestling again. That sounds pretty cool. You know, like, uh, the wrestling coach was fine with me coming in for that, you know, but it actually did get me to start doing jujitsu, uh, not jujitsu wrestling again. He just showed us the the positions, you know, so what was side control? And he showed us an Americana and I remembered it for whatever reason. I kind of like knew about like, okay, you got to like do this arm thing or whatever. It wasn't so unlike wrestling, you know, I pinned someone from side controls a lot like trying to pin someone in wrestling in a lot of ways. So you do an Americana from there. It's not too many extra steps in your head. Well, that was senior year. I graduated and a year and a half or a month and a half later, I joined the army and was going to basic training. And, uh, in basic training, you do like a grappling tournament or whatever. And so they needed like a, in my platoon, like it was platoon versus platoon. They have like a lightweight, a middleweight and a heavyweight. Well, I was the lightweight guy, you know, and I wrestled. So I was like, at least, I didn't know how to do like finish people, but I knew how to wrestle. Right. And I was all right at wrestling for the amount of time I did it. Well, I ended up Americaning this kid in the, in the wrestling or in the, like the grappling match, you know? And like, I heard one of the drill instructors, like yell at the other drill instructors, like, Hey, like, what are you teaching these guys? You're like, you're showing them Americanas, like almost like, Hey, we're only going to show them like so many moves, you know, make it fair. You know, we're not going to like, make them into, you know, the next Hicks and Gracie's, you know, behind your back type of thing. That's the way I thought about it at least. But I just thought it was cool that there's like this submission hold, you know, like you couldn't do that stuff in wrestling. And I was drawn to fighting, you know, I was just like, I think so many people that are in jujitsu or young, young men, or even there's lots of young women too, you know, they're just born fighters. And, uh, and so I watched, I watched lots of UFC every, anytime there was like a UFC fight, like I try and get all my army buddies in the room and like, we'd watch it and it would be hours long, you know, those early events, you know, with, uh, Chuck Liddell and stuff. And those weren't the earliest ones, but that's when I was watching in the army. It was a lot of fun, you know, and there wasn't like commercials on the TV, you know, it was just like. I don't know, P 
people fighting and like testing themselves and there's these cool jujitsu moves and they're putting them in combinations you know there's just like some sense of wonder to that you know because nobody nobody wants to not be able to protect themselves i also think there's a sense of wonder in it you know just kind of just odd to be in the same room with someone that you're like i know this motherfucker's just gonna kill me if he wanted to you know it's (laughs) man that's fucking it's kind of crazy i don't know but i don't know what i'm trying to say i guess but that's the thing that people are drawn to a little bit is this thing that they can't do or they're curious about there's an empowerment to it Yes, exactly. And when I was trying to tell you the story about my student, Eric, and how he felt like I didn't just get good at jujitsu, I realized like, hey, I could just lock myself in my basement and get good at something. That is the feeling that I love about helping people in jujitsu. That is the best part. You know, we were talking about my other student, you know, and someone's going to beat you up, you know, like... And I can help you not have that happen anymore. Fuck yeah, I'll help you, man. You know? He... Ishmael came, you know, he came came to the gym, you know, like once a month at MTT or something. Some sort of arrangement, I can't remember exactly, but... This kid, you know, got up and he said, you know, like, what do, what do I do if someone pushes me up against a locker backwards or so it was just like the specific question where it's like okay he's given something about what happened to him a little bit here you know yeah that was third period that day probably huh yeah you know and for me that is the part that i love about jujitsu is being able to help people with that but the part I don't like is when it's just about the business or just about the the sport of it, you know? You said before that you enjoy training for jiu-jitsu and you like rolling and you like the experience of getting good at jiu-jitsu, but you don't like the sport. Mm. I do like the sport. It's a lot of fun, but it gets mixed up with what I think is important maybe and you know I I stopped teaching when the pandemic kind of started that was kind of a hard time you know like in Minneapolis the riots were going on and stuff like it was crazy time man like it was like what's going on in the world you know like I've been trying to figure it all out you know it's hard to understand all the history of everything you know And so the idea of trying to go into the gym and teach anyone about some obscure move where they have to, one, know how to use a guard, what a guard is, how to switch in between a couple of guards, just so I can explain the move that I'm trying to teach. You know, there's like this whole basis of knowledge that you have to know in order just to get 
what the heck I'm saying, you know? Trying to talk about that stuff while all the crazy stuff is going on, while there's like clearly some problems that we need to solve, you know? That is not fun for me. But like, like my sister, she has to go to Minneapolis or she had, she had me work with one of her friends who works in the buildings in Minneapolis, you know, and someone tried to break into her, her business. She's a psychologist. <clears throat> and the idea of trying to explain to them guard passing or whatever, you know, like it just, it felt empty. It felt like I love jujitsu. I am all about jujitsu, but there is self-defense and that is what's more important, I guess, maybe what I found for myself because I would rather be able to help my sister or my nephew or this lady or any of those people that we could name, you know, that is what's meaningful for me, you know, helping them. It's fun to barambolo or baby bolo or do something crazy, you know, it's fun and it probably will help you be a better fighter in some way. But to be the most efficient you can be, to help the most people with the most efficient techniques, for me, that's not the sport of jujitsu, you know? The sport of jujitsu, you're already, you're already in it, man. You already figured out the lifestyle a little bit, maybe. But I would rather spend my time with someone, you know, in an intimate like this, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, private lesson. I have this student, she's going to Africa. She studies genocide in Rawad. And she comes to you for, for help. You gonna teach her something crazy, man? Or I acted like a fool sometimes, you know, ah, screaming or just trying to scare her or just something silly. Just because I'm like, fuck, she's paying me to help her figure out this self-defense stuff. And well, what's the best thing I can do? That's what I think to myself. Maybe it's acting like a crazy monster or something like that. It's <laughs> silly, but. Well, it's probably but, spot on. I mean. A self-defense scenario is fundamentally managing your own stress response. Exactly. To someone, you know, screaming at you or I, approaching you and you're not accustomed to that, right? Yeah. For sure. I so when I was it a week ago, two weeks ago now, I think I took my first like Muay Thai mm. uh class with Ryan Murray. Probably pretty intense. It, it was it was super cool. He was it was awesome. But where, when I where first was that, Polly? At the Striking Institute in Little Canada. Okay. And when I walked in um, I wasn't very nervous. Like, like definitely not like when I first took my first jujitsu class, but anyway, I, I walk in and Ryan and Ken Glenn were sparring in the ring there. And then I got a little bit, I was intimidated for sure. And it was, it was the volume of it. It was the, it was the, the noises they were making when they were like striking each other. It wasn't, it wasn't the fact that they were punching. I've seen, plenty of people get punched in the face but like to hear them like 
it was the noise for sure for mm-hmm. me that like, closer to like real violence yeah that like it just threw me experience. off i was like holy shit man these guys are going hard right now yeah and i mean me and you Polly, have trained at the gym i don't know for how long together but when we started to get closer it's when you started coming to a couple of my classes you know and it wasn't just you that was coming to my class. It was your daughter too, you know? And so jujitsu again, it's like Paulie's coming to help his daughter, you know, make her way through the world, you know? And he wants to make sure that she feels safe and she wants to make sure she feels safe, you know? And that's a lot of responsibility as like an instructor. And so when I say I don't like the sport of jujitsu, the sport is good for business. But slapping people in the face and acting like a fool on the mat, you know, hey, we're going to play with knives today, man. Oh, that gets somebody's blood flowing, you know. Hey, we're going to, we're not just going to do closed guard. We're going to like slap each other in the face too. Oh, people's hands get sweaty, you know. But unfortunately, that's like, for me, like that's the stuff that I think really, really, really matters, but it's also hard to train every day, you know? So I do like the sport of jujitsu. It's fun to just play around, but man, when I was first kind of talking about it, you know, today, you know, I was saying I stopped teaching jujitsu around the pandemic because it's just like, I want to I don't want to go back to way the way things were in some ways, you know, I want to like move forward. Like there's some problems. And I think maybe one way that I can bear my burden is to focus on the stuff that I find important, make it my superpower, you know, instead of going to a bunch of competitions and getting a bunch of medals, which would make me better at jujitsu. Well, I'm going to try my best to care about that self-defense stuff. I'll still do sport jiu-jitsu. I'll still roll and train, but I already got my black belt, man. I don't need to impress anybody anymore, you know? Yeah. Like, Eddie Bravo talked about, you know, he got his black belt training in the gi, and then he took it off, and he's like... Okay, now I'm going to do it my way a little bit. And everybody loves him for it, you know, or hates him for it. But he's being real, I guess, you know. He's trying to do the thing that he cares about. And he had always talked about his love for MMA too, you know. I I kind of like, I got my blue belt and my purple belt from the 10th Planet guys. Because, you know, that's what that mentality kind of drew me in you know this kind of mma style i never liked doing rubber guard or some of the fancy things i kind of said i was the anti-10th planet i wanted to figure out how to stop it you know that was fun that was a cool problem to solve you know but man, they didn't make me you know like twist my knee in order to do rubber guards in order to get a blue belt or a purple belt, you know? And that was cool, you know? I just got to do my own thing. I got good at 
arm dragging people and rear naked choking people instead, you know? And that's that idea that I've been talking about, the superpower, you know? As you get good at your own thing, you know? You get so good that they can't ignore you. You know, you don't want to learn rubber guard? Matt, do you want to learn that? No. No? <laughs> what if your instructor said that you had to? I mean, I'm game. Yeah. But I don't really want to. As an experiment, you might just get so fucking good at jujitsu that you choke everybody that does do rubber guard. And right. what's he going to do then? Ah, Matt can't give you a black belt, man. Sorry, dude. You can't do that thing with your knee. <laughs> so just start with something small. Just get good at one thing and get really good at it. And pretty soon you'll be able to impose your will on someone because you did it so much longer than them that they don't know what's coming. They don't know the reactions. <laughs> when you watch Professor Jared pass guard, you know, and he's just doing like a speed pass, you know, it could be anybody maybe, but they've been doing jujitsu long enough. But he just like jiggles his body. He's like undulates his body. Like it's just a sack of water almost. And then boom, he's by you. But do you think he thought about that? Like, no, it's just like he did it so many times that as soon as he moved one way and he got that one reaction or the lack of it, his body already was like, boom, gone. It's behind you. <laughs> Probably right now, actually. I, I would know that I was safe at least. He had to have my back. You're questioning me. No. No. Never. When did you start training with Ishmael Bentley? Hmm. I don't remember the year, but it was right after I got my purple belt. At that time, I was at 10th Planet. I had mainly done nogi, and that's what I really like, you know, I love doing nogi, you know, even when I went to, even when I went to M-Theory, started training with Ishmael, like, I tried my best to just, like, do my own thing, I'm just gonna keep on doing nogi, man, <laughs> he's gonna, he's gonna show me how to, like, pass guard using this gi grip, well, I'll do it for a little while, you know, I'll figure it out, but then I'll be like, like hey, Ish, you know, how do I do this nogi? And he'd show me, you know? And so now I'd do it that way instead, you know? I'd, that's the way I like to do it, you know? That's my superpower, maybe, right? Um, and so, <clears throat> someone that really spent a lot of extra time with me was Tim Gillette. He has a gym in Colorado, Morningstar Jiu-Jitsu, I think. I haven't gone out to visit him yet, I feel guilty, but um, he was moving, man. You know, and so Shawao from Rio Jiu Jitsu, he came in and man, he's the nicest guy in the world, you know, but he's from Brazil and there was a language barrier a little bit. You know, I had a hard time not watching his Jiu Jitsu, but I'm a curious person. Maybe he figured that out. I don't know, but 
I have to ask a lot of questions sometimes, you know, well, why, why'd you put your hand exactly like that? You know, well, what happens if you don't do that? Well, what if, you know, Ishmael entertains that a little bit, you know, he was good. He's very good about that with me, at least, you know, he's very patient. Um, and I love Joao, you know, he gave me one of the best compliments I've ever had one time, but I didn't get to pick his brain like a crazy person, you know? And so Tim moved to Colorado and kind of lost my, my mentor in many ways, you know? And so it was time to find someone else, you know? And I went and heard, heard that black belt speech. Cause I was training at both gyms at the time. Like I was obsessed with jujitsu, man. I was training at like two or three gyms at a time sometimes. And I remember asking Ishmael, I was like, after class, you know, he's always asking, uh, answering my questions, man. And I was like, so guilty, you know, I was like, Ishmael, I don't want to leave that gym, you know, like 10th planet, you know, like I like it, you know, like, there's nothing wrong. Like, of course I had things you don't like about anything, you know, maybe, but I had all my friends there, my buddies there, you know, I'd built a lot of friendships and memories there and so I didn't want to leave but at the same time my heart was almost tugging at me like hey man like 10th planet's cool but there's a bunch of black belts over at at Ishmael's gym you know and so a couple days a week I'd go over and I'd train with them in the gi you know and they'd fucking wrap me up and I'd be like this sucks you know (laughs) And so what do I do? You, you, you give things up at every level to get better. Almost. I told you this once, you know, yeah, fuck. I guess I'm going to go over there, man. You know, what do I want? Do I want to be as good at jujitsu as I can? Or do I want to like keep on doing the same thing that I'm doing and I'm not quite happy, you know, it's not, ah, just like, you, you, do I, am I making sense, Matt? Okay. And so I, it, Ishmael's special too because he's not just good at jujitsu, is he? You know, he's, he, he like has patents on like the spine or something like that. You know, I don't know all the stuff that I, I don't want to try it, but when you see somebody that's accomplished, wow, he's a black belt in jujitsu and he's handing out black belts to other, to other guys. And he's also like got crazy cars. Cause he like, not that I want his cars, but I'm trying to explain to you the the idea of this competence or this self-reliance, or I'm just able to like manifest my own life almost, you know, being around those people. are a little bit of what the black belt is about, I think. I don't know. What do you think, man? One of the series of episodes, ideas that I had for this, when I was first like jotting down notes, like I'm going to record a podcast, so let's be organized about it. One, you know, it was going to be booze with a black belt, which is what this is, despite the lack of booze. And uh, a few other catchy titles, and another one was going to be... Uh, 
like Renaissance man. But I realized that they're pretty much all Renaissance men. Mm. And you were one of the first ones that came to mind, just a handful of other interests that you were seriously embedded in. But then, particularly as I started talking to some of the black belts, they all have multiple layers. You'd call them sort of Renaissance men. Mm. They've excelled here and had experiences over here, mm. you know. To your self-reliance point, I guess, if nothing else, is just finding the path, whatever that path might be, but then knowing, having sense enough to move on and find another path and build competency there. I think we're on the same page. I think so, too. That's what, that's something that draws me to keep on going and, like, meeting new people, I guess, at weird places, you know? I went out to Washington to, I went out to Washington in order to do like these woodworking classes, man. But it's the people that I really, really find fascinating and that stick with me, you know? Met this guy that builds mud houses. You build mud houses, man? Like, how many people do you know do that? Do that? <laughs> how many people do you know have ever heard of a mud house? How many yeah. people do you think would lower the lower themselves to sleep in a mud house you know like people are just like mm -hmm. scared to do that man mm -hmm. right am i wrong no you're correct <laughs> i mean but I'm he in. was a med student man yeah he went to medical school but that's kind of the finer point is that the people who are interesting are also interesting yeah and he had this you know big fucking scar down his arm man so you just know that He's got his troubles too, right? So we went to like South America and it's like a hippie guy, man. He stunk. Smelled so bad. <laughs> but but guess what? When you like don't just be like, I need to get away with get away from this guy because he stinks, man. You mm -hmm. find out that he like has no money, so he's like put everything that he had into taking this course and buying this bus and he's staying on this piece of property building a house that's how he's paying for it and there's no running water there so he can't take a shower and that's why he stinks so he hand sawed what are they called the I'm sorry the uh, saw horses Something is he hand sawed saw horses all day long, paid for this. He builds mud houses, was a med student. All day long he did that. And then he went and he built some Amazon box house for some dude so he could stay there and that's how that's how he's paying for it. And you don't think he has some interesting story, you know, that something that makes him tick? Mm-hmm. I just want to be around that guy and, and hear his, his take on life because instead of worrying about like that idea of, man, I'm too good to even stay in a mud house. Like I'm going to live my life and dedicate my life to that. And you're okay with that. And you're going to walk around and keep your head up high. That's something pretty cool. I think, you know, in today's society. Well, in the front end sacrifice to presumably have 
a certain level of greatness or awesomeness later on. If nothing else, just a lot of awesome stories and experiences along the way that mm-hmm. that guy's going to have versus what most of us do. But I think he just thinks about life differently than you, your average person that you mm-hmm. meet or I meet, you know, walking around every day. He told me the story that I really liked. He said, well, <laughs> I built this, Polly's sitting in this rocking chair that I built, you know, and I think the idea of them lasting 300 years is pretty cool, you know. Or if we were out there building these timber frame, this timber frame pavilion, I could tell you all about it and just talk your ear off about it. But it's fucking cool, man. And it will last for a long time, you know. That's cool. But he told me this story about in some, like, more primitive cultures, they try to build buildings in order to fall down. Man, why would you do that? You have a guess? Matt, why would you build a building that would fall down? a chance to start anew at some point yeah what if you had a bunch of homies that that like building houses with you or your whole community like gets together in order to like build these houses and that's like your way of life you know it's not such a bad thing you know like they're not hurting anybody you know it doesn't make much sense to people that want to just sit on the couch and watch tv you know that that sounds like hard work man what's jujitsu it's like you're never done with jujitsu. You get together with your buddies again and work on building jujitsu. I mean, you can always get better at it, yeah. I wonder how good is good enough. By what metric? How would you ever, like, from what you're saying, if jujitsu never ends, you can never stop getting, getting good at it. I don't think you need to worry about it. Why? You just die. Why? You'll die. Right? And I don't, I don't even know. mean jujitsu, but with everything. I don't know, man. What if what if you played with that saying that like too much of a good thing or there's too much of a good thing, you know, like what if you spent your entire life on the mat since you were a teenager? And you mean adult. Like to, to the detriment of other experiences and yeah. Skills. Okay. Yeah, I think it could be taken too far. I think I've taken some things too far with jujitsu. But you also have to push yourself to that edge in some ways too, you know, like you can go too far with things. But when I tell you that the sport of jujitsu I don't really like is there's also like this pressure, this like treadmill. Where if, like, you didn't make it to class, man, your buddies are like, where are you at, dude? You know? That's hard, too, right? What if what if the right thing to do is spend time with your family? That's where I felt like I slipped up a little bit, where I was, like, just going hard into jiu-jitsu. I got my black belt in, like, seven and a half years, man. Okay, I spent seven and a half years doing jiu-jitsu, but how much family time did you have, Zach? And when I asked myself that question, that's where I felt guilty. And so I still want to do jujitsu, absolutely, but I think it would be fun to like help my family learn how to do jujitsu and like get that 
self-confidence that we're talking about, that self-reliance, you know, but in our culture, it just becomes sometimes, man, I'm just doing jujitsu because like, phew, I just got to keep up with everyone else. Everyone's getting their stripes. They're getting their dings, you know, and they're never, like you said, you know, I made it to class three times, but I did never stop to think like, how could I make myself better? And so you just kept on doing the same damn thing, right? And you're mad at yourself about it because you're like, well, maybe that was wasted energy. Well, how many times are you going to do that before Before it was a waste of a life, maybe? Right. So all I'm saying is too much of a good thing. Like, you just got to decide what you want, you know? I watched a documentary yesterday. It might even just been a YouTube thing, but it was the man with the seven-second memory. Hmm. Or something like that. Mm-hmm. Something's mm-hmm. called something like that. That'll, Google will find it based on that. Yeah. And it's this dude who was, he's British, he's still alive, I looked him up, and he was a really famous, well-respected composer Mm. type of thing, just rocking the keys, even, you know, he's just had all those ingrained skill sets, even though he's got this amnesia condition that he, every moment is a new moment for him. He like lives in a memory care center for the last like 40 years. Like he knows that this woman that comes to visit him is his wife, but he can't remember the wedding mm. or any of the marriage. Yeah. And they, he spent a very short amount of time in his career in that he rose to the top real quick. Um, but he was always working. Mm. You know, there was this mm. performance and that performance and this production and that production and just constant. Like he was the, you know, if he didn't have this, this is a virus that eventually got to his brain past the blood brain barrier and, and affected his brain such that he has zero memory or zero ability. He has memories, but he has zero ability to create new memories. And that happened like three years after he married a gal at the height of his career. Well, he married this gal because he was divorced from a previous one with whom he had three kids Hmm. that he spent zero time with. My goodness. Like, and when they brought the kids in toward the like latter half of the thing, they're like, well, he doesn't remember us, but we don't really remember him either. So, so he's great. What's that? So he's, he's great at playing the piano, mm-hmm. but there's a backstory to it. And something awful happened and whatever chance you had to make up ground is gone with those kids, with that family. Yeah. It's also the story of Achilles. He is on the beach with his mother before he's about to leave. And she tells him, you know, you can go to Troy and find greatness, but you will never come back. And what he sacrifices is that chance for a family, you know? And so he had to make that decision, you know? Fuck, do I go kill all those motherfuckers? That Hector, man, I wonder if I can cut that dude's head off, right? That's that's what he's thinking. He's a warrior. Like, he was born to fight, right? Like Polly. It, might, be, it might sound crazy, but in a pinch, everybody's relying on that guy, you know? There's people like that that we are grateful for, you know? That's why we have Memorial Day and stuff like that. But... 
you have to make that choice, I guess, you know, do you want to be great? Well, how great do you want to be? Do you want to spend all your damn time playing the piano and not have a family and have them hate you? And now they're making a Netflix documentary about, oh yeah, you know, you, you really won't, you, you winning, right? He won at the piano game, but he lost at the family game, man. And I guess, again, we have to decide which game do you want to play? Do you want to be the Achilles? Do you want to be your name echoed through eternity? Uh, then you're going to have to be okay with living with the guilt of ignoring your family, maybe, or, or your child, or who knows what it is for you, you know? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I was too serious. No, no, no. Uh-huh. He, he's the only one with kids, so I was staring at him. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Hey, kids, leave me alone. I'm trying to be great. <laughs> Maybe you're making a choice too. You know, you're choosing not to have a family, and that's your decision, right? I don't, I don't know your marital status. Or are you married, Matt? You see a yeah. wedding ring on my finger. I'm sorry, man. I don't know anything about your, your... Do you see that wedding ring? Why have I not been invited over to your house to do meet you your s- wife yet? Do you see the wedding ring on my finger, that tattoo? Yes, I do. I'm not married. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I no, thought you were okay. trying to show it to me like, man, I'm married. No, no, no. I just, I love the hilarity of having a tattooed wedding band and being divorced. That was probably a good lesson, huh? What? Is it a, is it a, is it a, are you divorced? Let's yeah. just make it simple. Yep, absolutely. You are. Yeah. yeah. That, that marriage was probably a, a good lesson, I guess. And Oh, everything's a lesson. Yeah. Right. You know where you go too far in jujitsu? Me? You're talking about, yeah, you were talking about maybe going too far mm. at some points. Just with that fucking neon belly. Hmm. You don't like it. I'm okay with it. I haven't liked it mm-hmm. or something. I remember when I first started jujitsu. Angela was watching UFC with me. You know, like I said, I always watched UFC. Like, at least when I, I don't anymore really because of the commercials. But, um, I remember telling her, "Oh, that guy's doing neon belly." She's like, "What's that guy doing?" You know, she hadn't, she didn't train yet. And I was like, oh, that thing kind of sucks, you know, like people always try that, but they never like, they never get it, you know, but that's a weapon, man. You make someone quit. I know. Mm-hmm. Twice. That's one of my fears. That's one of the things that I have to work on in order to raise my level is I get claustrophobic in Mount, you know, I kind of like the same way. It feels when you're just getting smushed and pummeled in neon belly and you can't get out, you know, like, just got to tap, you know? But Hanan gets on top of you and... Don't say it. Don't even say it, man. <laughs> it's terrifying. so bad. It's terrifying. You know, like, uh, I give him my arm. Please, please, please arm bar me, you know? It won't do it. <laughs> He'll laugh. He'll he'll giggle probably in his head because he's so nice, but he he knows what you're doing, you know, right? But he's just bringing you into deep water, right? He's the Moby Dick dragging you out to sea. I didn't really thought of that. Like, 
Because you you tap the pressure when you first show up to jujitsu. Like Micah mounted me with my elbows up by my ears. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? That's exactly and it. And I tapped. And so I, I do it to other people. Yeah. <laughs> but like I hadn't really thought there's like a second layer where you're actually, you've developed some skills and you're in the thing. And then somebody gets your number a little bit and mm-hmm. they're crushing you. So you kind of give them something. That is a strong weapon to use. How many animals do you know? See, we're going to go back to Professor Jared again, animal analogies. But if you're an elephant or you're a big fucking animal, like, I don't know, a rhinoceros or something, how do you die, right? They don't just, like, nip your ankle and be like, okay, it's a flesh wound, we got him, right? They run those suckers down until they get exhausted. Yeah. You know, and that's a very good weapon is to always push your partner in a direction that's going to force them to exert a little bit more energy in order to move, escape, to stall. You want to stall? Fine, man. I'm going to be a neon belly for as long as you want to stall. Because if this was a video game, you know how they have those bars up at the the top of the screen? <laughs> you want to stall and run from me because you're sitting bottom mount and you're just fine? Cool, man, but I'm going to put my body weight on you and I'm going to walk your arms up if I can. Because gravity works, man, you know? And so your your energy meter is dwindling. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm trying to do to you. And you break so much easier when you're tired, right? Who quits when they're 30 seconds into a match, you know? But who quits when they're tired, right? Who doesn't quit when they're tired? Let's put it that way. So if that's your weapon, that's another layer, right? That's a submission in itself. That's a strategy. Those concepts are important to learn. You're learning your half guard sweeps, but are you learning your art of war? What if that's going to take you to the next level, Matthew? Learning how to apply the techniques better and when. Something tells me it is. (laughs) I was bad at that. Tim, my... That instructor I was telling you about. I don't know. Do you guys know Tim? No. No, it's too bad. He's a good guy. Um, His... his, One of his best sweeps was the flower sweep. You guys... You know, you're in closed guard or... He called it the flower sweep. Other people call it different names. It's like a pendulum sweep. You like Mm -hmm. swing your leg out and you swing it back, you know? Mm -hmm. I was a purple belt and I couldn't really do that well... That that so well you know the the idea of i gotta swing my leg here and there and i gotta do it at the right time too i just like the idea of grabbing onto this guy's arm just ripping him towards me so i can arm drag him better you know (laughs) like that's the way i fucking fought when i was a purple belt slap hands bump fist i grab onto you and i'm executing my game right but when you want to have a pendulum sweep you gotta you gotta lie the trap 
right? You're the predator, but you're waiting. But then that's how it, the animal thing, that's how most of it's done. You know, most of it, most hunting of high level predators is done. Hmm. You know, sure. They chase them down and tackle them or whatever, but they picked the right spot and they picked the right time and they spaced out or, you know, all that. If you're one predator. Yeah. I like the idea of learning how every predator fights, you know? I'm going to be the bird today, you know, I'm going to fucking drop down on this sucker, you know, from way above. That's fun. That's my superpower, maybe. It's not wrist lag. That's the most efficient submission. <laughs> efficient? Efficient. Name a, f- yeah. name a more efficient submission right. than that. No, I'm with you. I'm not disputing it. I was just... Clarifying the language. Hmm. Particular. Whoa, whoa, wait. Let's let's stick on that. What is it that's so hated about that? Do you think, huh? Why, Matt? Why? Why does someone just hate themselves if they got wrist locked today? Do do people? I know there's jokes about it, but like, well, isn't a joke truthful many times? I suppose, yeah. But but to me, like when you said that's the most efficient submission, I was like, hell yeah, it is the simplest in like a self defense scenario. Certainly within a tournament, if you find mm. the you know, I don't know if I trust my you? life on a wrist lock, but in a sort of tough guy puffed up chest altercation, you will that will shut that dude down in a second. Mm. Not like a real actual sort of we're fighting, you yeah. know. But yeah. tough guy shit, absolutely. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but do I mean? In my head, though, it's just another submission. Like, dude, for you, you wrist locked me, bro. Good on you. Let's do this again. There's shame. <laughs> Paulie, am I wrong? I know we're 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 half joking right now, I guess. But at the same time, I bet you could name somebody. You talked about it that you would you would text Ryan oh, and yeah. let him know that somebody got wrist locked, but. Or might have got wrist lock. I don't remember what you said, but the idea that there's a running joke almost of like, oh man, I got wrist locked or I'm going to get wrist locked. But I think it's because, fuck, I got wrist locked. That's why. Like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Like, I'm trying to think of how to say it. I think I go along. I go along with I don't. I wouldn't feel bad about it any more, any worse than I would feel bad about getting choked or like ankle locked or something like that. Um, but it's like the joke. I don't know. I just go along with it because everybody else jokes around about it, I guess, to well, be honest. The example he's talking about, you were talking about almost wrist locking Dan yeah. and then texting a lifelong buddy of Dan's like that you wrist locked <laughs> that fool, you know. Just to shame him. But I didn't him. get it. But I didn't get well, it. But, and like you just said, just to shame him. So, yeah, maybe there's shame there. Who knows? But to your point, like, uh, do you remember when we brought up uh, – Kevin in yeah, his, his competition yeah. in, in Las Vegas where he wrist locked the guy mm-hmm. like in mm-hmm. X amount of seconds. Yeah. That was very cool. I remember I, that. I thought it was awesome. And Kevin was like, yeah, I was kind of, I kind of felt bad about uh-huh. it. And I was like, what? That was the first time I, like, I was like, huh? I was like, that, Kevin is like one of those like, like polite, awesome. polite, nice what if, Midwestern what if guys. We threw out the word honor. Is it an but, honorable submission? That's what came to my mind. But, yeah. but why, why isn't it though? Yeah, or why it wouldn't is. it be? <clears throat> he won. 
Is it within the rules? And did it get him a win? So anything within the rules is is okay in the sport. Yeah. Yeah. So is a neon neon belly okay? Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. But you don't like it. You. I just resent your pointy knee in my rib cage. <laughs> you know, I, I'll gladly accept it again. Let's go. But you know. I think also, why do you weigh three hundred pounds? Isn't that a fun? Isn't that fun about jujitsu? Yeah, Oleg is legitimately one hundred and eighty-five kilos. He's like European, so I better put it in kilos or whatever. <laughs> I love those stories where it's like Jeremy. You you had him on. He he always would tell the story about this guy named <clears throat> Luis Claudio in Chicago. I've never seen him other than a YouTube video, but just the this this person that you see and, and your first gut reaction is like he's not a big guy he probably can't win you know in a fight or something like that but then you 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 actually see them fight and they're like pinning down some big dude and you're like what's going on here you know like again that's that sense of wonder where it's like this invisible thing that's intangible thing that you don't quite understand that gives you the sense of wonder that that I think you should like when you when you feel that that's that that's like the opposite of what David Goggins is talking about where it's like instead of you saw saw that fear flash through your head you saw that sense of wonder flash through your head you can fall in love with that you know it might be really fun for you Matt to figure out how to pin someone and just make them quit because they can't escape especially excuse me at your at your your weight class you know those big bigger guys are you're probably heavyweight if not what you'd be heavyweight do you know what what, what weight what class is you'd the be top class the and up class i don't actually I'm like know. 280 yeah. i'm assuming that's, that's the way way up class i would assume okay. those guys how many times a class do those guys get held down and not be able to get up right not very many so when you are able to do that to them if you got a good neon belly you got a good mount they quit faster than the smallest person in class they don't have the reps they've never been put there and every time that they have every time in their life that they have what do they do they go to their dark spot they hulk out right you know how to go there, right? Trust me. <laughs> and you get out. Or you quit. That's an observation I've made. I'm not saying that's going to happen every single time, but in what I'm trying to say is those bigger guys, they have a different journey than the smaller guys, right? When I started jiu-jitsu... I was tapping people in my first week of class, not that I'm trying to brag, but do you think I have the same experience as someone like Sebastian, who started as a teenage boy in the adult class, you know? That dude had a, a different experience in jiu-jitsu than I did. He had a different journey than I did. And so he learned how to escape first a lot, of, or maybe not him, but most people, they learn how to escape first, right? I learned how to escape when I was a brown belt. I got, here's a good reason why you might want to compete, Matt. Mm -hmm. 
it exposes your weaknesses, you know? And so, fuck, I got held inside control by this guy at Alliance, Danny. He did a great job. He held, held me there, pinned me. I couldn't get out, you know? It sucked. And so, in order to get better, I had to be like, fuck, maybe you're not as good at those basics as you thought you were, you know? And so my journey at Brown Belt was go learn those basics again. Because, like I'm saying, when you were a white belt, yeah, you learned how to shrimp and you learned how to elbow escape, but, Zach, you wrestled and you weightlifted and you were in the army and, you know, you got after it a little bit with sports. And so getting pinned wasn't the same thing for me, right? And so applying lessons that you learn from like your instructor, it's not necessarily the same lesson that you need right there and right then, you know? That's why we have to think about it, you know? You know what you need. Someone can help you figure it out for sure, but you also know how to get better too. And someone can also show you what you need Yeah, that you didn't know. Oh, absolutely. Like your example. If you're open to, to learn it. At, at one point earlier, you said you thought about quitting jiu-jitsu? Yeah. It, uh... I'm trying to think back on exactly how I felt, but what gave me my fire again was going and seeing uh, Jared and um, being exposed to um, Professor Dave Camarillo, too. Like he, uh, His message is very much towards like fighting. Like He was part of some of those those great MMA fighters in, in their, in their corner, you know, he, he helped them. He started at judo, started doing jujitsu. Then he learned how to wrestle in MMA, you know? And so his message was something that kind of, I identified more with rather than more of what you do when you go to class as you learn the sport of jujitsu, because that's when you get to roll. Right. And so it's like, a little bit I don't want to learn how to do a cross collar choke you know I had to have to learn how to do it you know to get better but that's not fun for me learning how to do a cross collar choke I'll do it for a little while <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do it if the instructor shows it you know but you show me a cross collar choke for a week straight I might not be coming back second week you know I'll, I'll go watch a DVD instead you know because I have my own obsessions that I want to get good at you know I want to learn what the instructor's showing me because they know what they're talking about, you know, but that's not enough for me. It's not deep enough, you know, like the, you go to advanced class, Professor Ishmael shows you an arm bar, you know, pretty sweet arm bar. You could get way deeper into setting that thing up, you know, or, or finishing it or repping it or, 
but because of the way the sport is taught to so many people every day at 5.30 to 6.30, right? You never get that chance to (laughs) be Eric, right? Be in your garage with your buddy and watch that one DVD over and over and over and over and over and over again until you actually do it and you get it. And then once you do that, you're like, wow, let's do it again, (laughs) right? That was some of the funnest things in my my teaching career was having those people that it wasn't about this, the, the stripe for them. It wasn't about the, the ding, the check-in or just making it to class today. Cause that's what we do every day. Bohada bra. You know, it was about, Hey, let's get really good at this one thing, you know? And so part of, part of what I tried to do was, get people to be excited to drill and people did get excited and people got really good too. And I, I, I always kind of said I accomplished more in jujitsu than I ever thought I could. Like I don't do jujitsu as much as I used to do anymore. I feel a little guilty about that, but a little bit of it is I need an, I need some more fire. You know, I did more than I ever thought I wanted to do in that sport. I never thought I was going to get a black belt. I didn't have the confidence for it, man. Paul Petushin, this like, he was in the ju- the judo army, or excuse me, the Russian army, during like Soviet times. He's a like, judo black belt. He's showing like all. He was like one of my first instructors. Showing all these moves. I didn't think I'd be able to memorize all that stuff, you know. Then I went to Tenth Planet. I met this guy named Matt Castillo. He's a black belt now. You guys know him. You talk to him? No, this is on the long list, though. You talk to him. He he believed in me before I did. He said, "Zach, you you, you go do those competitions. You'll win. You'll be a world champion." <laughs> laughing, man. Are you kidding me? I went to Roseville. <laughs> I'm just a grunt in the army. You know, I just got out of the army. I was going to college, right? I hadn't figured anything out. I was trying to figure out what the hell I was doing. You know. What I did is a better way of putting it. But he said, you know, you'd be able to do that, Zach. And I didn't believe him. But but then you get exposed to those people in jiu-jitsu. Like, <laughs> like, like all the guys on the competition team the other day, you know. Like our whole, t- our whole team went out and brought back a bunch of medals, even though I don't love the sport. But at the same time... You go train with those guys, you'll submit them. They're not superhumans. They tap just like everyone else. But they're a Pan Am champion. Man, I can do that. Maybe I can, you know? I choked that motherfucker once, right? Why can't I go do that? So you go out to California, you go out to Boston, you go out to wherever. You get exposed to these people and you realize they're not so different than you, you know? They just made a different choice. They decided differently than you, you know? They might have different gifts than you, but, man, I get a superpower too, man. I get to spend all my time doing something, and I'll get good. You believe that? Do you think the the Eric example is going to be more prevalent after everybody was shut down and forced to try to do it at home with a specific friend? And I think... I don't quite understand your question, but at the same time, I think 
maybe just what I think about it is the pandemic probably, you know, showed who was working and who wasn't a lot of, in a lot of ways. And I hope the people that chose to do it by themselves realize like that's all it ever took, you know? And I guess that's the root of my question. Like, do you think it forced people to realize that, Hey, drilling with my buddy, Polly, nowhere near the gym, way outside of class time actually proved really valuable and will sort of change the culture Mm. of jujitsu and change how people think about when and where and how they need to practice in order to get better. I hope so. But the thing that I worry is that when the pandemic stops, people just wanted it to go back to the way it used to be instead of, (laughs) instead of, Hey, I learned how to bake bread during the pandemic. You know, 2021, you baked 10 loaves of bread. How many loaves of bread did you bake this year? Or do you get what I mean? Yeah. 2020. Last year, then this year. Yeah. You know, like, did you, did you decide to do something different? Are you still doing it different? You know, like, or or did you go back to doing it the way you used to do it? You got excited about something, then what? Did you write it down, you know? like, And a lot of times you you make a goal, and it sounds good, but you never asked yourself why, you know? That is the real key, is like, why do I want this thing, you know? Because... I don't know. Why do I want it? But when you can answer that question on the hard days when you're tired, you don't feel like going to class because you went six days already this week, you know? You don't feel like going to class. Your why is, fuck, I trust Ishmael. He said, just show up, man, you know? You, so you find those people that, for me, you find those people that you trust and then you trust them until you can't, Right? Until you find some uh, some better advice. Yeah. And if you're going to class with someone you don't trust, like, man, maybe it's time to trust yourself. Or maybe it's time to find someone you do trust. You know, like, the thing about what I mean when I say I hope things don't go back to the way they used to be is, like, you get to choose your own future. Like, our our past one we joke about that that meme with Anton Chigurh you know like Mm -hmm. if the rule that brought you here brought you to this what good is the rule you know like man I don't want the same stuff to happen again you know like that wasn't so fun or there's some bad things that happened or whatever but what are you going to change you know and why I feel like I'm repeating myself but it's important Mm -hmm. to to focus on that i think yeah i agree tell me about that time chris claviter mounted you Hmm. (laughs) he's trying to send me an anton sugar gif (laughs) i like chris I'll cut this out if you want. It's okay. No, I'm okay. 
I just, I, I, I haven't thought of a smart answer yet. Mm. The time he mounted me, I was training with him in his basement. <laughs> so maybe I was, uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, it was fun, you know, training in basement with your buddy. Mm -hmm. It's different than training in class, too. Just get to hang out. No pressure. Yeah, he mounted me, but. If uh, if I wanted to get out, I couldn't. Escapes. <laughs> I believe that, though. I'm not trying to be cocky mm -hmm. or whatever, but, mm -hmm. man. Someone mounts me. I, I have a few tricks. The first time you ever asked me, like the second time I ever met you, you said just out of boredom probably you said matt what do you want to be good at in jiu-jitsu <laughs> that's not a bored question uh and i said honestly eventually teaching it because ah. that's just how i am with everything sure and you were like no dude that's not what i'm fucking asking you <laughs> uh you didn't say that but uh you said no i mean like techniques mm. because i have like a daisy fresh empty white belt so yeah like let's and I said escapes mm -hmm. because that's pretty much all I was trying yeah, to smart do. Of you. Still, yeah. well, still, and because that's the, your early experience, sort of what yeah. you're talking about. Some people's experience is different, but my experience was I'm in this and then I'm in this and I'm in this and I'm in this. <laughs> Clearly working on escapes is, is the thing to do, like suffer through positions so that you can escape and get out of them. Yeah. They, those escapes are very empowering. <clears throat> I feel I feel like that's the most empowering part of jujitsu, yeah. personally, it's, is the fact that whatever you try to, whatever situation you try to put me in, I've got something that I can do to get out of that. Yeah. Trying to teach jujitsu, though, kind of piggybacking off this, you know, like mm -hmm. if escapes are the most important thing or the so empowering, okay, well then I'll just let's say. Polly's wife comes down here and is like, "Hey, I'm ready to, t to learn jujitsu now." Does she? She doesn't do jujitsu, yeah. right? Yeah, so I'm ready to do jujitsu now. What should we work on? Well, we were just talking about how escapes are so important, right? Is it like is that where you start? You know, like even if that's the most empowering thing, like maybe the self defense is the best place to start. But to be honest, I don't know if the self defense works. You know. We get told it it's worked, you know, but everything I see is people punching each other in the face, you know, and MMA and like that stuff seems to really work, you know, but what I found a little bit was if I'm just going to show you a headlock escape, that's good, right? But... Once you can actually dedicate the time to get it, the whole thing, the whole perspective, you know, that's when it starts to be a little bit more useful. And so being a teacher is kind of hard, you know, because it's almost like, okay, I got to teach you all these techniques until you're ready to like actually do it on yourself, do it by yourself and like figure it out for your, for your, for your own dang self. You know, like we're 
talking about with Eric almost, you know, like he was already good at jujitsu, but you got to figure it out too. You know, there's like this mindset shift you have to like get with. (laughs) Tell me about wood. (laughs) I like the forest, you know, it's pretty fun. The, the thing for me is like I was teaching jujitsu and doing jujitsu all the time, but I always had woodworking in my life. And I told you that I felt a little bit guilty about at the end of the day, I didn't know if I had put as much effort into like helping my family as I did to jujitsu. And I wanted to kind of change that. And that's why I like stepped back from jujitsu a little bit. Right. Well, I felt like I was, you know, being a good instructor, a good jiu-jitsu instructor, you know. But we talked about Ishmael, too, and how he's a good jiu-jitsu instructor. He has more than just that. He has more than just, I'm jiu-jitsu, you know. And so, me and Wood is, like, a little bit about, like, I need, I need some more in my life. I need to figure some more things out almost, you know? And so chopping a tree in half and splitting it with hand tools and making it into a piece of art and then telling all my friends and students and family about how it was made and that sparks that sense of wonder in them the wonder that will maybe, like I said, I don't want to go back to things the way they were in the pandemic, you know? I don't like everything about that suburban lifestyle, you know? McDonald's on every corner is cool, man. But if I eat one of those hamburgers, I feel guilty as hell. Not because it didn't taste good, but ethically, you know? Or Domino's pizza. I like my pizza, man. I train my ass off. So guess what? Friday night, I'll get myself a pizza, you know? It was easy, right? To order that pizza, you know? I like going out and getting that, like, artisanal pizza from, like, the stone fire oven or whatever, you know? Or making it myself, you know? But it's hard for whatever reason. Like, I don't want the easy thing, you know. It makes me sick to think about just going through my life eating dominoes because that was what was easy, you know. I want to choose my meal, maybe, you know. Not every time, you know. But I don't want it chosen for me. And so would me getting to like live this lifestyle where I get to be an artist with wood. It lets me show people the forest and this kind of other side of life where I feel like it's more meaningful. Like if you go for a hike in the forest with your family, that's pretty cool, man. That's fun. You know, that's like something that I'll remember. Um, 
And so it's like a uh, wood is like more folk, I would say, you know, like this this lifestyle that I think is more deliberate. It's like more meaningful. There's nice people there too, you know. There's nice people in jiu-jitsu, but <clears throat> a little bit is the cultish cult culture of like we do it the way we do it, you know, there's not thought to it in some ways. And so I want to be able to mix the two. I want to live a life where like I can be in the woods and make stuff with wood and have a family and have a guilt-free conscious about all of the choices that I made in order to get there. That's hard, man, but what else are you going to do? You know, you're going to watch Tiger Tiger King on on Netflix instead? <laughs> uh, I'd rather slap you in the face, mm. you know? <laughs> yeah, the fucking show. So stupid. How many people watched it, you know? And like, if you watch an advertisement, you watch a Coca-Cola commercial, you think you're not going to want a Coca-Cola poly? I don't really like soda. Jesus Christ. It's not the point. You know it's the point he's making. <laughs> you know, well, Facebook knows what you want. What does Facebook show you, right? You don't think you're going to want that thing that it's flashing in front of your face? And so if you're... And if you open it right now, it's going to be Coca-Cola. Because <laughs> our said phones it. are near us. Yeah. yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And so, like, my point is, you know, like... If you fill your head with Tiger King, you're going to become Tiger King almost. You know, you fill your head with jujitsu, you become jujitsu. And so I choose not to like watch those commercials or watch those things because it seems fucking silly to like close your eyes when a commercial comes on. But that's not the life that I want. That's not, if I had a daughter, if I was Polly, I had a daughter, I wouldn't want her watching Tiger King, you know? So I'm not going to watch that shit. I'm going to choose not to, you know, because our dollars, our time, our votes. What is that you're drinking there? What do you got? When I, uh, oh, bang. When I was at MTT, they had a vending machine filled with these, you know, talk about they wave it in front of your face. Yeah. Right. <laughs> when you're, uh, when you're teaching, you know, all day, training all day. I wanted a little bit of caffeine, you know, now, guess what? Coming to the podcast, I need a little bit extra caffeine so I can t talk a little more than I'm used to. Hey, stop at the gas station, get an energy drink. Bam, there's the bang right in my face. I didn't choose that, you know. Jenny Clark probably chose that for me. Thanks, Jenny. <laughs> but um, there's no, not that it's a big deal, but... Um, it's pretty good. Cherry bing, bang. What's the favorite, your favorite thing you made out of wood so far? Oh, man. People don't really, it's hard to, it's hard to convey, like, <clears throat> how excited you can get over something like that sometimes, you know? Like, my favorite thing that I've, 
made would probably be the chair that I call my black belt chair. And it has like a paint job like a black belt would where it's all black and there's one red bar on it. But as a present to myself for for getting my black belt, I bought a class to learn how to in person make Windsor chairs. So I had to drive down to Tennessee and I met this guy named Greg Pennington. He has a, a school there called, I think it's a Greg Pennington Windsor chair school or something. You'd be able to find it if you looked for it. Okay. And I made a, a, a Windsor chair with a writing arm, you know, and I just gave it to my sister because I didn't really make everything myself. You know, I just, I wanted to make it myself, you know, but I got some wood from them. Like it's hard to get the right type of wood to make a chair. You gotta, it's not like you to go to Home Depot and you get some two by fours. It takes, you gotta have a tree. It, anyways. So I spent, you know, all summer handcrafting with a draw knife, just like the way one of my making heroes does it, Curtis Buchanan, with it all by hand. <laughs> you get what you get. And at like 2 a.m. in the morning, Angela was asleep. I knocked that sucker together and I took my camera out and I took a video of myself and I sat in that sucker. And just the like amount of time it took to make that thing, it felt so good to just sit down on it, you know? And I sent it to my sisters and my mom and, you know, and everyone's like, hey, good job, you know, like, but no one really gets it at mm -hmm. the same time. They are really happy for me and they're proud, you know? But for me, like, that's what it was about. It was like, could I do it? Could, like, can you do that? Like, there's a lot of steps, man. Stuff can break. And so, that was a really nice, like, great thing to make was that chair when you just, like, you spent a year probably making the tools to make the tools. I had to make myself this shaving horse thing, you know. I made that all by hand, too, you know. I had to buy blueprints off the internet and print them out and like you can't just go buy a shave horse over at home depot you know <laughs> and if you do that thing ain't gonna work so well because again the culture you know we just make really cheap stuff you know and so tell me about wood zach you know it's like when you get good at woodworking you can make something that's not hollow that's not a veneer it's real you know you i made that chair you know i made that table and it's not some i i pick on ikea a lot you know but there's all sorts of companies that do this you know they cut down all sorts of forests and wham bam and now you got you got an entertainment center and you put it together yourself and it's in a box and man, they make it look so easy. Just in an afternoon, you got yourself an entertainment center. You post it on Instagram. Look what I built today. Two years later, it's going to the dump, you know, it fell apart. The door sucks. Style changed, right? But those trees, man, how long does an oak tree grow for? I mean, what are you, a hundred years? 100 years yeah. yeah a small one yeah hundreds thousands of years you know but we have people 
like I said, I don't really like suburbia in a lot of ways. We have people cutting down forests on every corner in order to put a fucking storage unit. Yeah, a storage unit, this is man. Where I keep all my stuff. All that shit in a locker over there from yeah. IKEA that broke that I can't part with because if I give it away for free on Craigslist, then that guy got me. I spent two hundred dollars on that thing and I didn't get you know two hundred fifty dollars back. That's kind of what I like about the woodworking part of it is I get to make some cool stuff. I don't have to buy it from Crate and Barrel or whatever person that's trying to charge me. And those people, who do you think made that thing? A craftsman made it, getting peanuts. You know, like lumber right now, it's more expensive than it ever has been. Who's getting that money? The guy making the stuff? Nope. The guy cutting down the trees? The landowner? Nope. It's corporate. So I choose <laughs> to move to the woods, to have my own trees, so I can harvest them without cutting a whole fucking forest down. And I can sell it to my friends that can afford it because they support the ethics of it, not because they want a cool back scratcher or a spoon. You know, it's not about that. You know, it's about, huh, my buddy made that. You know, he fucking whittled it out of a tree, man. Do you believe that shit? Spent all day with an axe, you know, like, that's what got me excited about woodworking is like, man, that dude just cut down a tree with an axe. That's pretty hardcore shit, you know, like, can I do that? I don't know. I don't even own an axe. Oh, I got myself an axe. It's from the flea market. How do I sharpen that thing? Man. It's just like one thing after another, you know, like one step after another. You want to make a chair? You can't imagine how many steps are in, be in between you and that chair. But once you figure it out, someone helps you. Like I went down to Tennessee and that guy, you know, Greg Pennington, I took his class. I already kind of knew how to do it. I was watching YouTube videos, man. It's just like jujitsu. I was studying. I didn't want to be a fool when I walked into that class. It was an advanced class. I had never made a chair before. But guess what? I met Greg. And it wasn't about the chair. It was Greg. You know what he did? You ever heard of this guy? Either of you? I tell you about him? No. He's just some farmer from Tennessee. See the guy you sent us that video? That's my other hero. That's Roy. We'll talk about okay. him some other time, maybe. <laughs> Greg, he's just some guy. He, like, was a diesel mechanic, just an everyday, everyday guy, you know. But he met Curtis, Curtis Buchanan, same guy that designed that chair right there, Polly. He put YouTube videos on so people could learn how to make Windsor chairs for free. <laughs> I saw him years and years ago, and I thought, man, this guy's crazy. He's just doing it all by hand, no power tools. That shit looks hard, man. But Greg was his student. So I called Curtis up. Curtis, you're lucky if you can get a class with him. He's old. He's kind of like halfway retired. I heard him on a podcast saying that he like refuses to make this rocking chair for people anymore because it's so complicated. But some like pregnant lady called him up and was like, please, please, please. And he's like, she said all the right things. So I guess I'm making the chair. <laughs> <laughs> but Greg, you know, he... He's not just, 
he's not just Curtis. He's not a copy. He did it his own way. So instead of having this little tiny, like, shed in order to make chairs in, which is cool. I think that's cool. I would like to have that. Greg, he wants to teach it. You know, you want to be a teacher, Matt. And the thing about chair making and the thing about woodworking is it's empowering the same way jujitsu is empowering. Once you realize how to make something for yourself and you don't have to go to the store and buy it from the corporate ban, it's a lot of work, but you get to, you get to feel good about it and it's fun. People want to do it with you. And so Greg, he's good with tools. He bought this, this sawmill thing. I got one ordered, man. I'm so excited about it. It's this, this big sawmill. It'll cut a tree up. You know, all you got to do is get the tree to your house or you take the sawmill there. And you got yourself a big beam, just like the old timers used to have. And in the summer, by himself, he cut a school out. And he had a community of people come out one day. And they had an old-fashioned barn raising, just like they did... You ever seen that movie Witness? Yeah. Witness? Harrison Ford, right? Yep. Yeah. It's like these Amish people and they're like all like raising this barn and they have these big huge hammers and they're whacking the wood in and you, there's no nails and it's just like, holy cow, look at these Amish people go, man. Like I know it from Kingpin. <laughs> <laughs> and now he has this school full of people that just love woodworking, you know? And It's empowering for people, you know, he has this community of people that love it and he's excited about it, you know, and I hear I am talking about it to you guys on a podcast, you know, it spreads, it's inspiring. So I met Greg out there. So that my favorite project was one of those chairs because it inspired me to like change my life, to be more deliberate. And so now, you know, I, I live in St. Croix Falls and I have one of those sawmills ordered and I want to help inspire people. And I want to make your life better in the way that I have my superpower. Cause I can show you how to split a tree and make a stupid back scratcher, but it's not so stupid, you know, it's stupid, but so is jujitsu maybe, you know, Yeah, everything, everything is, <clears throat> is stupid. You don't need yeah. technically to do any of this or a skateboard. Yeah. Or, a ch or a stool, you know, like things that I want to, like I have classes for, that I have dreams for when I have my school, you know. But then, you know, yeah, if my dad made a skateboard for me when I was a kid, yeah, that'd be pretty cool, you know. But when I'm a little bit older, it would mean even more to me because it's like he made it, you know. Or like, man, me and my dad made this skateboard together that was pretty cool you know i mean me and my dad <clears throat> who made this pizza peel for my my uh my stepmom a couple weeks back you know i i got along with my dad you know probably just the same as anyone growing up we had our ups and downs but getting to you know make something with him a pizza paddle it's not anything that cool, right? It's pretty cool. Make some pizza. I told you I like my pizza. <laughs> <laughs> but the experience of it, just being there with my dad and talking with him and getting to explain my philosophy on life a little bit was pretty fun. 
And I think I'll remember that. And what is life about? Well, and your mom can go to Target and no, she get a pizza pad thing. <laughs> you know, in theory, in theory. But in theory. she can also pull that thing off the wall and know so much about it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> So you mentioned earlier about, you know, building a chair or building something, you know, the pavilion that's mm. going to be around 300 years from now. And that's not the first time I've heard you mention something about that. Mm. Do you remember, I think it was for your cousin that was having a baby Yeah. or the wedding, maybe something like that. I watched a video that you had done and, and you mentioned in that video about knowing that that chair is going to be around for a hundred plus years or whatever. So I feel like that's something that's important to you. Mm. We've been talking about the trees, you know, <clears throat> and it's like a circle, you know, the, the fact that I don't like those storage units being built and seeing all the trees cut down. It's a circle, you know, like hopefully that chair that I made you, you know, you'll You'll have that for the rest of your life. I hope you do, Polly, you know, or maybe Sophia, you know, maybe she has that someday, you know, but if you had Ikea rocking chair, I don't think you, I mean, not that you don't care about stuff, but like, who cares if the rocking chair breaks, man, you know? Polly, do you think you could assemble an Ikea rocking chair? <laughs> Probably not well. <laughs> Those little pigs. <laughs> and so, man, do I really, really, really care that that specific chair lasts 300 years? A little, but... I mean, it would be cool to, like... I mean, it's a cool idea. Or it's maybe my hubris so that I could have a chair in a in a, a museum someday. And, you know, like, wow, look at this cool chair. But that's not what it's about you know like i said it, the trees you know the, the trees are what it's about like people are choosing a way of life like against nature almost you know it's not efficient it's like choosing not to do a wrist lock <laughs> right because the 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 sleeve things there you know the, the ezekiel choke the sleeve choke is there you know yeah, maybe that Ezekiel choke saves your life, but maybe you're at the beach, man, you know? And so do I want to spend my whole life getting good at an Ezekiel choke when 40% of the time I never have a coat on, right? Do I want to spend my entire life buying a bunch of shit to impress people I don't like? in order to go on doing things that I don't like? Or do I wanna contribute to a way of life where instead of buying an Ikea chair where they ethically are not maybe doing the, 
things that I like, you know, or I want to like my kids to do or our kids to do or the future. That's why I like the idea of a 300 year old chair, you know, the buildings that we go and look at in Europe are those old fucking castles, right? You know, because it's like, holy shit, man, you know, like I wish I lived in a castle that looks like fun, you know? I won't have to worry about my house blowing down when the tornado comes, you know? Because it's, it seems better and it seems right almost, you know? But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we should build a bunch of shit to break so that we can get together as a community and fix it, you know? Well, maybe that's what we're doing right now. <laughs> that seems right, actually. <laughs> what else? anything else if you do like what I'm saying or do believe you know like you believe in some of the things that I'm saying <clears throat> you can come out and hang out with me you know we can go for a walk in the woods you know I'm my my message about the superpower of you can get good at whatever you want, you know, like I'm hoping to, you know, help people with this woodworking stuff, you know, and so if you want to support me, you can find my website or, or come out and take a class with me. Say it. Blackbeltwoodcraft.com. I have, uh, I have some timber framed mailbox posts on there right now you know they're kind of expensive but if you buy that you'll get a pretty cool mailbox post and you'll also know that you're contributing to some of those ideas that I'm sharing today you know it's not about me trying to get rich <laughs> it's about having friends like Polly and Matt and the other guys that have already come out and played around at my property out there, you know, that is what's fun about life. I think getting to share those moments with people, if that sounds fun to you, hang out with me. Thanks, Zach. I just wanted to give one last shout out to uh, my sisters, kind of my sister, Abby. Her husband just had major surgery and is in the hospital recovering. She's helped out the gyms quite a bit. We've had students that have injuries and she's uh, helped fix them up. She works at St. Croix Orthopedics with Dr. Malatu. And my other sister, Jill, uh, her son, Gage, just graduated today. So congratulations to all those students that uh, are graduating right now. Uh, you just had the pandemic and a crazy couple of school years, you know, like the thing that I would say to you is, you know, go find your superpower, go be your own superhero. There's a lot of opportunity out there. And if you didn't like what happened in high school, that is not the rest of your life. You get to go decide what that is. <laughs>